Welcome to the Hashtag STRask podcast with Amy Hall and Greg Kokel. Hello, Greg. <laughs> Hi, Amy. Okay, the first question today comes from Brian Burke. Isn't the view that Jesus, as fully God, chose to limit one of his divine attributes, omniscience, and therefore truly didn't know the time of his return, just like open theism's self-limitation view of God's omniscience? In either case, how can God not know what he's chosen not to know? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm pausing just to think about the question here. I, I'm not familiar with this particular wrinkle of open theism that he mentioned. Um, and, but I will just say, in, in a certain sense, theoretically, in light of what he said, can you just read that line again? Isn't that? Isn't the view that Jesus chose to limit one of his divine attributes, omniscience, just like open theism's self-limitation view of God's omniscience? Well, it's not my sense at all from what open theists that I've read or talked to that God's omniscience is self-limited, first of all, all right? And uh, that's not even coherent to me, okay? How does God know everything, but he keeps himself from knowing everything? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and uh, in, in any event, the Incarnation is in a very unique circumstance. And the um, I, I think this is a difficult issue to kind of unwrap. And maybe you have more intelligent things to say about this than I do. Um, but the the Chalcedonian formula is one person, two natures, okay? Not two separate wills either. That was a problem that came up later that was rejected. And it's, but it's one person, and that would be the person, the second, the, the, the divine second person of the Trinity, okay? That's the person who then took on a human nature. And I think it's, it's hard to figure out what the dynamics of the relationship is between the divine nature and the human nature in Christ. And it's been discussed for a long, long time. Um, that the divine nature um, doesn't allow the human nature to know some things, okay, is uh, is odd. And it's hard to calculate that out. Here's what we do know. And, and also think of Jesus as a child. Um, are we wanting to affirm that the infant Jesus, or the two-year-old, or the three-year-old, or the six-year-old, or the ten-year-old Jesus, had omniscience, had, was fully aware of omniscience of everything that was happening. I mean, that's, it, that's what would be necessary if we were not going to, if we are going, if we were going to affirm that the omniscience of the divine nature was completely accessible to the human nature because we don't know how that distinction could be made. Well, that means it wasn't just Matthew 24. He would know his the day or hour at that time. I think he knows it now, uh, but he was, t he was answering a question right then. I do not now know the day or the hour, okay? And uh, he didn't say, I'll never know. 
I don't think he's sitting up there on the throne waiting for the father to say, okay, go, you know, return. But in any event, um, it wouldn't be just at that that one thing. It would be a whole host of things that he uh, would have access to, <laughs> every piece of knowledge for his entire human existence. So from the minute he's conceived and all through his childhood, he would display omniscience. I mean, it's, a, it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing, it seems to me. Either he's limited in some measure or he's not limited at all. And I think it's a fair question. If he is limited, then how is it that divine nature does not translate into the the omniscience into the human nature? This I, I can't answer. Um, but I, what I can answer is is this. Jesus did not at that time know the day or the hour. And the Word became flesh, and the Word was the creator of everything that ever created. So we have this amalgam of a divine nature and a human nature, and we know that's true from Scripture, and we also know that he didn't know some things in his earthly body at that time, and all we could do is speculate as to how that works, Mm -hmm. and it's speculation. That's all we can say. However, it's not the same, it seems to me, as the open theist, because first of all, the claim that I I just heard that apparently some open theists hold is that that God has kept what I, however it's put kept himself from being omniscient about certain things and maybe there are the the free will acts of other human beings in the future because that in some way will impair their ability to act freely and which is is not a sound line of reasoning knowing that something is going to happen doesn't cause it to happen period you could you could have complete and robust sense of free will and god will know what that free will will choose to do and it doesn't cause the free will it is going to happen of course the way it's going to happen god knows that but his knowledge doesn't cause it to happen Ca- the causal relationship is the uh the act is first, even though it's not first in time, it's first in causal relationship to God knowing. It's because the act will be performed freely in the future that God knows in his omniscience that it's going to take place. And if people don't get that, that's okay. The point is, knowing something doesn't make it happen. It's made to happen by the agent who does it. So this should not be a problem. Um, for that is solved by open theism. However, if a person says God chooses not to be omniscient, and I have never heard that from open theists, if that's one angle they want to go, I don't even think that makes any sense. And that's not my understanding of their view. My understanding has always been that they say God knows everything, but the future is not a thing because the future hasn't happened. Therefore, God doesn't know what will happen not because he's limited in his knowledge, but because those things haven't are not knowable because they they don't exist. Well, they're, yeah, they're let me exist. qualify that too. They can God can know what he has sovereignly chosen to do in the future. Okay, if he's made a decision that in the future he's going to do it, he knows it not because he knows the future, but he knows what he is going to do in the future, and he also could know certain consequences of a, of uh, of um, causation of not agency but of event causation. 
dominoes falling. He says he sees the dominoes falling, and he knows how the laws of nature that he's established are going to work, and so these dominoes are going to eventuate in a certain way, okay? Humans can do the same thing, too. It's called the scientific method, experimental repeatability. The real bugaboo, though, is is free will uh, actions of people in the future. And if the idea is if he knows them, that's what's not knowable, I guess, um, because if he knows them, that somehow impairs freedom. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that... That is more of my understanding. I, I, like you, Greg, I have not heard them say that God limits his omniscience. So I, I, I agree. I'm not sure what that would mean. Maybe there are, I mean, obviously there could be people I don't know about, but I think that's a misunderstanding. But it's certainly, it's certainly, he, there must be some sense in which there is a limitation of the omniscience of the natural, of the human nature in Jesus. It can't be the divine nature. That would be incoherent. The divine nature cannot cease being what it's being by a matter of choice. God can't cease to be all-powerful. I'm just not going to be all-powerful for a couple of years, you know, or something like that. Uh, These are all inherent to his nature. But it can be that there is some kind um, of—that the human nature doesn't have access to that. And in the the human nature, in the mind of Jesus, um, the human nature— there has been a choice of God, I guess, or something that keeps that knowledge from being available to him. It's something because we know it was not available to him and we know he's God. The thing that makes these kinds of questions really hard to answer is that we're talking about an entirely unique situation. Mm -hmm. The incarnation is unique. The Trinity is unique. And so when we're trying to understand it and we're trying to compare it to things we see in life, there's nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. And that makes it hard for us to understand. And so I think at some point, all we can do is what you said, Greg. We we look at what the text says. Mm -hmm. It says he did not know the dear hour. And it also says he's the word become become flesh. And so we can speculate about how that works. We might not understand it completely Mm -hmm. ever until... Maybe God will explain it to yeah, us in the right. future. And I don't think it's a contradiction either, because conceivably there's a way this could happen. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. We are not saying Jesus knew everything, but he didn't know everything, if we mean know everything in the same sense in both phrases. So um, it's not a contra—excuse me, it's not a contradiction, but it is a, 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 an anomaly. I wouldn't even say it's an antimony. Because that's where something that appears to be contradictory is not, apparently. Uh, I think it's just a mystery. And uh, I, I don't know how that hall works. And maybe some other people have worked this out more carefully, but uh, I, I don't think there's any refuge here in this understanding of Jesus, this doctrine. There's no refuge for open theism at all. So I just want to mention a couple of passages that speak to this that we should keep in mind as we're trying to think through it. And one of them is, of course, Philippians 2, which talks about the incarnation. And it says uh, that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And so if he's a man, if he's truly a man, then there will be things he doesn't know. I mean, that that does seem possible. And then one other verse— And also, he can't lift like houses because he's omnipotent. You know, he's not going to be able to, don't worry, I'll just roll that stone away myself, you know, or I'll just, uh, you know, lift this camel. Right. He was truly carry. living as a man. Yes, right. 
And in Luke 2.52, it says, and Jesus kept increasing, this is about his childhood, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Right. So he was learning, like you mentioned, Greg, as a as a baby, it wasn't that Jesus knew everything. He actually had to learn as a human being, as every human being has to learn. Mm-hmm. So we have those kind of touch points uh, for this topic. So he had to learn his multiplication tables too, huh? <laughs> yes. I don't know if they did that back then, but maybe they did. <laughs> figure something out. No, it was harder then because they had to do it in Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's a related question from Rusty. A question came up in a church class. When did Jesus become aware that he was the Son of God? The teacher argued it was at his baptism. Others argued he was already aware when he was 12, debating with the teachers in the temple. How could Jesus not know he was the Son of God? Well, this is related, obviously, as you pointed out. And uh, I think I th- this this is another one of those mysterious things. Bill Craig has talked about this quite a bit, Jesus' self-awareness. Uh, and of his own, of all kinds of things. And it, this is not possible to answer with def, in a definitive way um, for the reasons we've been discussing. It does seem at 12 that he had a clear picture of this. So it, it's not, not at his baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, for one, he, he remember, J- John objects to baptizing him. I need to be baptized by you, not the other way around, John the Baptist says. And Jesus said, allow this so all righteousness, whatever he said, can take place. So um, so it, it seems to me Jesus already had a very robust understanding of his mission at that time, and he didn't just discover, oh, I'm the Son of God. Oh, what's that dove flying? Oh, I hear that voice. Oh, that's me, really? Behold, no, I, I think she hear and I think that is evidenced by his comment when he's 12 years old and and his parents find him there in the temple. I'm ab- do, doing my father's work. Incidentally, um, Tom Gilson, who wrote the book Too Good to Be True, excellent work, um, and really explores this in some incredible aspects of Jesus' life. I think Tom is the one who said, Jesus never says, our father. He tells the disciples to pray that way, but he never talks about the Father relating in, in in relationship to him as if he's part of a group that shares the same relationship that he has. He says, my Father, I'm about my Father's business, and uh, and he uses that language a number of times in the Gospels. Um, and that, I think that does distinguish um a unique understanding that he has regarding the relationship he has with the Father. If if this is my Father, then I am his Son. So clearly at that point, he has a sense of being the Son of the Father, and in that role having a very specific responsibility, which he was fulfilling in some measure even at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And and mystifying everybody with his knowledge. It wasn't because he was really good at Torah, you know, in synagogue. I don't think that. Oh, he's a class A student, you know, as he's growing up and he's got to study Torah, and then he really did a great job, and now he's just flashing his capabilities there before the big shots over in the temple. He had insight 
that others don't have. And just like later, he he spoke from his own authority. He was doing that even at 12 years old. So he must have had um, a very rich sense Mm -hmm. of his uh, nature by that time and his uh, his role and who he was by that time. All right, Greg, here's uh, another question about Jesus. This one comes from Frederick. Reading about Jesus, you really believe he wants to be, quote, served? Do I really believe yeah. he wants to be served? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so now, of course, the question becomes, what does Frederick understand service to mean? Okay, and um, does he need to be waited on, et cetera, et cetera? Well, in this earthly life, um, it is not... It, it, you know, Jesus took the role of the bondservant, like you pointed out in Philippians chapter 3, and even unto the point of death. And up, even in the upper room discourse, there he is washing the disciples' feet. As an example of how we ought to be with one, uh, regarding or towards one another. There's a different circumstance now. Now we are, as Paul says, we are slaves to Christ, doulos. Okay, we are servants to Christ. You can translate it either way, doulos. John MacArthur is very insistent on translating it slave. But nevertheless, this is what the whole concept of servanthood entails, doulos, slave, servant, to Christ. Yes. To do what? Well, not to serve his human needs, obviously. He doesn't have human needs in that same sense. But to serve him in the capacity that is appropriate for him as the king of the kingdom, you know. So just like a a, a soldier would serve a sovereign, or a, a people in the court would serve, or an ambassador would serve a sovereign, uh, we are serving our sovereign in ways appropriate to the task ahead of us. I, I'm not sure why that's controversial. Well, I wonder if, uh, of course, it, it depends on how, as you said, it depends on how you define serve, because clearly we get everything we have from God. We're not adding anything to him. Uh, so the so the Bible uses the language in two different ways. And he it talks about, uh, it uses the imagery of servants to God, to Jesus. And it also talks about Jesus coming to serve and not to be served. Because right. in that sense, it's talking about how he provides us with everything. He provides us with our salvation, with our life. You know, all things hold together in him. Uh, everything comes from him. Uh, the Old Testament talks about how God owns everything, so it's not as if we can give him anything. Right. Paul says the same thing in the Areopagus, uh, right. Acts 17. He's not needy. He doesn't need anything. And so in that sense, of course, we're not we're not serving him in that sense. We're not adding anything that he needs. He is providing everything to us. But when you use the terms of being a follower— and being someone who does his bidding and who who wants to please him and who is is acting out in in his place as our role in the world all of those things are we're in the service to him and of course the bible says we're either serving sin or righteousness right, right. we're either a slave to god or we're a slave to sin right, it's right. one or the other right and so in that sense, not that we're adding anything to God, but as we're acting as his representative and doing his work in the world, that's the sense in which yeah, we serve. And it's, and it's because he is the king of the kingdom, kings have servants. 
that serve him in all kinds of capacities. And some of those are in, in, in uh, physical needs, you know, they prepare this, that, the other food, whatever, servants do that. But others are emissaries. Others are over work projects that uh, that he has uh, ordained and uh, selected individuals to be responsible for. So the concept of servanthood is a very, very broad one with re- with, with regards to God. And again, I, I'm not sure what's behind Frederick's question. I was waiting for more, actually. So, um, well, hopefully, we we covered what he, we're, we're not, his issue was. We're not going to offer him hors d'oeuvres, you know. Yes, right. Are in most for most people, they have servants because the servants provide for their needs. Yeah. Whereas when we are serving God, we're we're usually providing for other people. We're yeah. usually acting as as his representative for the sake of others, and that's how we serve him. Not by giving him something, but by acting the way he's called us to act. Well, that's it, Greg. Wow. For today. (laughs) Three questions about Jesus. Brian, Rusty, and Frederick. Thank you so much for your questions. If you have a question, send it on Twitter with the hashtag STRask, or you can go to our website and just look at the top of our homepage at str.org, and you'll find a podcast page for hashtag STRask. And there you'll find a link. You can send us your question. Keep it short, and we will consider it for the podcast. Mm -hmm. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.